Good afternoon, everyone. This is the Shuffle Bus, recording from the Foundry in downtown Lincoln. I'm your host, Jesse Bergman, and as always, I have my non-qualified co-host, Neil Molman, joining us today. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Scott Landis from VectorSigma.info. Hey, Scott. Welcome aboard. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit, Scott. We've got a lot of things to kind of break down. You you kind of dropped a bomb on the <laughs> Transformers community a few weeks back with this wild infographic chart. <laughs> For those of us that spent the time in that and listened to your tech talk and listened to you and Vince discuss the chart, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think we're on board with you on this. So Talk to me a little bit about kind of maybe how you came about the need to do that. I know you you broke it down quite a bit in your articles, but for maybe our listeners that didn't read those things, just kind of give a quick five-minute overview of like why you made that chart for the community and what you're hoping to accomplish with it. Sure. So it came from basically needing to try to define the uh, unstable metagame and basically the different ways that you actually can approach the game because of there only being two colors, unlike a lot of other games being primarily blue or primarily orange would lead you obviously into a primarily defensive or primarily aggressive deck accordingly. But I, that doesn't mean that all these decks operate the same way. So I knew there needed to be another way of defining those. And it, it grew over time to be basically the number of characters that you were using was a secondary factor. And then when we started playtesting and seeing a lot of the decks operate similarly when they had a same number of characters and were slanted uh, one way or the other, seeming to perform the same way against other decks in other ways, I, it kind of just grew from there and, and became like a, a theory that would allow us to save time during during playtesting for Gen Con. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, I, I don't know about the rest of our listeners, but for myself, I'm a, a working adult, uh, have a lot of responsibilities, and that means that my Transformers time is never as much as I would hope it would be. And it gives me and and I think Neil's in the same boat the opportunity to to really discuss at a high level and qualified decks that we're theory crafting well before we ever actually even put them on the table. And it it feels a lot like there's more playtesting that goes into this game than other games. You know, I've played a lot of games at a high level. I know Scott has too, and you have. Where because we have these like asymmetrical starting points it's really hard to like play test all the outcomes. Like it's, it's really easy to like play test in magic, for instance, like your deck against generic control deck, because generic control deck should be similar to a lot of the control decks in the field. But I don't know. I, I know that that's kind of how your infographic breaks it down. But then you talk about like the inner spheres, which maybe we'll get to in a minute, but like we start not on the same footing and, Sometimes I just feel like, well, we have time to test. I don't have time to test against like X number of decks that are even in the same sphere. Yeah, I think that's a real thing. So, Scott, tell me a little bit like when obviously you came to Gen Con with the General Prime mixed pip list was probably your your team was probably one of the only teams playing mixed pips in that tournament. What was kind of your decision point leading up to Gen Con on like, how did you get to that point in your testing where you were like, okay, we're definitely going to, you know, kind of take this aggressively slanted, but yet mix pip deck to Gen Con. And obviously it worked out for you. So just kind of uh, maybe lead us down the path of how you got there using this methodology that, that you've presented to the Transformers community now. 
Sure. So, so we have a pretty vibrant community here in the Philadelphia, Jersey, North Jersey area that we're able to travel to. So there were a few tournaments uh, before Gen Con that certain players on the team were able to attend. And like a general optimist base deck was uh, one of the ones that, that we had created as a team, but it was still having problems with, at the time it was Insecticons, but then it grew to also have problems with like Blaster and other four wide egg decks that we were testing out like four wide planes and things like that generally just because the same reason it's always had it was a three wide aggro deck against a four wide aggro deck so the question became we knew what it took for a deck to overcome that and that's basically playing the range package playing more blues you know allowing optimus to to suit himself up with ion blaster and with armor to you know to to slant it a little more controlling in that that matchup. So it was just basically the question of could could we play all that in the main deck and still be viable? Basically like the Optimus Focus or the the extra cards you drew from Fire Drive, things like that. As long as you were basically able to assume going into combat, because the general optimist gives bold one and tough one to all your other characters, instead of it being, you know, relying in a typical aggro deck like, you know, okay, I'm gonna flip an orange every single one of the cards I flip on average, this is basically just a, a two thirds average. So it's like, if I'm flipping three cards, I can only really expect to get two more damage out of it. Then on the flip side, when I'm defending, I can expect to get one blue out of the deal. So as long as you went into combat, not assuming that you were always going to be on the positive end and, and making your plays accordingly. So if I'm going to play this action card versus this one, because this one gives me plus four instead of plus three, or I'm going to pitch this many cards to fire drive to ensure I get a, a kill. As long as you knew those ratios going in, that's really where we it went. So it, it started out as a, a typical three wide aggro deck, like most of the ones out there. And then, so it was that sphere. So it was a three wide aggro sphere losing to the four wide aggro sphere. And then it was, is there a way to iterate this to get it to be a positive matchup in that already bad matchup? And does that hurt its already positive matchups against a lot of the control decks? And the answer there was also... It wasn't as good, but it, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, the landslide victories that it typically is, but it was still winnable um, and still in the favor of this deck. So we were able to quote, you know, move the sphere. So like the sphere discussion just starts out as, as a starting point, And then hopefully you can iterate it from there. Some decks can't, like they just can't adapt themselves or adapt the character lineup or adapt the battle card to get out of the sphere or, or, or create a new one in this case for in the aggro control space that I call it, but if, but some of them are uh, with different character lineups and things like that. So the, I guess this will be more important going into wave four, because now that we have an established metagame, you can kind of move around it. Whereas I was kind of using this to like try to establish it at the same time of creating the theory. So it'll be different once there's more like a new set to, to digest. But right now it's all kind of an, in one, if that makes sense. It, right. Absolutely. I think that all is just, great info for anyone that is looking to try to like you said iterate their own deck like it's a good way to look at things read scott's article it's great listen to their uh youtube podcast and they talk about it there as well for people that haven't done that yet can you uh just kind of go over like a low level maybe just like one axis of the the grid where like just why four wide beats three wide on a basic, basic level for everyone? Sure. I will say the overall theory, just just at a really high level, is essentially 
if you're thinking about aggro decks in general, all orange decks, the more characters you have will beat the ones that have less. And on the control side, I sometimes find it to be the opposite where the lower number of control deck characters in a control deck will beat higher number of characters in a control deck. And then you have to worry about going between control and aggro. Those are the two of the general theories. But if you want to talk about, um, I'll give you the, the big example of uh, three wide aggro versus four wide aggro. So from wave one, we're talking about, for example, um, cars or Dinobots uh, versus Insecticons. And that's kind of different iterations of that have carried forward. So if you think about it logically, uh, most people would think like, oh, well, I'm attacking with bigger characters that will typically get a kill on the first attack against the Insecticons with the three wide deck. But what actually winds up happening is because there's going to be at least one turn of the game where you're not actually able to play an action or an upgrade and or you're just not drawing perfectly to even be able to play an action upgrade, the four wide aggro deck has the advantage because they're able to choose where you attack. And this is regardless of like abilities like Scrapnel or, you know, throwaway characters like Chop Shop or, or um, uh, Ransack. It's just the fact that they're able to control combat because they have more characters than you. And because you can add an upgrade and an ability to anybody involved, a giant advantage off of the, the smaller aggro deck. So no matter, no matter how, what, like, no matter what you do to try to fix that matchup from a staying as a pure aggro deck perspective, it was never winnable. The four wide aggro deck always just had an advantage because it simply had more characters and could therefore define the pace of combat better. Um, so we, you know, you had to find ways to, to adapt to that. That's, you know, again, kind of like where the general optimus deck came into play, but that's where it started out. For example, um, that's just one of the axis examples. And I think the Energon Invitational results we've seen so far, while well, they're small tournaments, and as small tournaments go, short of the one you guys played in in Jersey there, uh, the, the the small tournament nature, though, actually kind of helps in some ways, I think, falsify the meta game a little bit and give hope to decks that maybe wouldn't survive a larger tournament format just because they have less games to play through or less poor matchups to line up against. Uh, and, and so tell me your thoughts on using Energon Invitational's to try to gauge whether this theory is holding holding up or is it something where we can only look at this theory in the larger format tournaments as a as a method of of uh proof of concept i actually find that the smaller uh invitationals rely more on it uh because what actually winds up happening is you just auto lose to your your bad matchups or your auto beat your good matchups and so it just basically comes down to how many of that actually show up in the room and or worrying about uh, mirror matches. I actually find in the larger tournaments that you can, you can quote like hide from your bad matchups or you can, you have to be more adaptable to a general field because you don't know what you're going to face in the first three rounds. Whereas I would assume um, a larger percentage of the players in a smaller invitational are going to show up to try to win. So therefore are likely playing meta decks or versions of meta decks that they've adapted to themselves so this type of theory, I think, actually uh, holds more weight. Um, also, you may know more of the players that are going to show up in a smaller tournament, so you may actually be able to use this to adapt your style before the event begins as opposed to, like, on the fly have to adapt uh, through your sideboard or through um, understanding the matchup just based on the number of characters or, or the type of deck. So I, I think you could argue it either way. Um, it just kind of depends on whether or not you're your local tournament meta actually adheres to like known decks that are out there, if that makes sense. Well, Jesse and I went to an EIQ in Omaha 
at Legendary Wolf Games. Shout out to them. They have a Twitch channel. It's it's pretty sweet in there. I had never been there before. And what you said is exactly what we encountered. We had 10 players. I or we had 12 players, I'm sorry. I played bugs and I played against bugs in the first 3 rounds. Jesse had played in a previous EIQ in Lincoln here where he just saw a bunch of the people that were there, I think. And was it two of them, Brennan, the guy that won, and his friend Tyler, who was playing Bugs, and I played in the first round. So we had tested and, like, assumed going in we were going to see a lot of Bugs. So, like, my sideboard was slanted against the mirror match. Um, I didn't win all of them, but uh, I felt confident going in that we were doing that. So, you know, we we just essentially leveraged exactly what you were just talking about, where we knew a percentage of the field. We went in that way, and Jesse... How many bugs did you play against? I played against zero. Oh. Right. So so he was playing Blaster. And just like you said, like, maybe you can hide from your good matchups. Like, Jesse got the invite. He got second. But yep. the guy who got first had won the previous at EIQ, so he got the invite. But he just, like you said, like, hid from that bugs matchup. And, I mean, the Blaster deck you played, again, is very similar in that four-wide aggro where you just kind of crushed the three-wide aggro that you played in round one and uh lost to the four wide cars deck that was your only loss and, and yeah and to be fair on that loss that really just was my own doing i i actually was well, i wasn't gonna throw you under the yeah, bus but it was my own doing <laughs> I'll, I'll totally you can you can take the driver's seat on the bus i'll go get in front of it and you can run me over and back me over a couple of times because i did i did mess up and it it cost me the game i i left cliff jumper with two health because of that mistake and that's that's the uh that's the uh, that was the end of my perfect day, but yeah, I, and somehow I didn't get the invite. <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. But anyways, the I, I don't know how these tiebreakers all work out. You beat but, me on opponent match win percentage. Yeah, but. yeah. So the um, you know the interesting thing about the which is which is why I was jabbing him at the start because <laughs> it was basically Neil and I were equals and almost the entire day. The the. The interesting thing about this conversation, though, to me, is that when we like we were driving back and we were theory crafting some of these spoiled wave four cards and like what sphere they would go into and whether or not they're actually going to change the sphere. And so we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the cards that you've seen up to this point in the spoiled set, which obviously is just a small sampling of the entire the entire set, of course, like we we clearly don't have the whole set yet. So we're still working off of just finite amount of information, but we've seen two super rares out of the four. Do you think that some of these cards are going to drastically shift some of these spheres and, or, or create a new sphere just from what you've seen so far? So probably not from a sphere perspective, unless, unless some of the like super rares can per support a two wide deck. Cause there just isn't a lot of information on that out there right now. I think the only character that I've seen so far that can, shift the way some of this operates is probably vanguard because oh, i have been i have been talking about helmet guy for like yeah. the last 48 hours <laughs> so his his force field ability because force field is one of the cards that a a less wide aggro deck has against a wider aggro deck so the fact that he has that on command means that it's possible that like if you played him in a three wide aggro deck as opposed to like a three wide control deck which is where I actually think he's going to show up. But if you played him in a three wide aggro deck and you were able to get the force field to proc 
often it would probably help you against the four wide aggro decks in shutting down their extra um, upgrades and actions. So that to me, as it stands right now, is the way that I can see it actually being shifted simply because that card just gives you force fields on demand. But on the flip side, if you don't go first, they're probably just going to target him and, and potentially kill him if you're playing it in an aggro deck. I think in a control deck, he yeah. can survive, but not in an aggro deck. So. Yeah, I, I think we're on the same page with Vanguard. Like we we're just we we spent the better part of our hour and a half trip home last <laughs> night just just talking about what what decks want this card, and we definitely agree that it's probably more an aggro deck than a blue deck. But I I mean, who knows? Maybe we're wrong on that, and when we see the rest of the set, that'll change our opinion. But at this particular point, Vanguard's pretty insane for for aggro. It's it's kind of interesting that the cards that they've previewed for Wave Four at least that are defensive, I guess, is what I would describe them as. But like like you were saying, Vanguard is better in an aggro deck. Like the safeguard ability on the hot rod, which I, I don't know if hot rod specifically is good, but that safeguard ability, you know, functions similarly where, like you said, it's a way that it just increases the number of total attacks it takes to kill him. And that's, you know, kind of gives you the extra attack out of the aggro deck to simulate like the extra wide right or just get close to there and it feels to me with the printing of the blaster deck and ram horn also that these are the kind of defensive cards that we're going to be seeing going forward because we we know that it doesn't really matter what the numbers are like it's just like the number of attacks it takes to kill the thing so even though five seems like a lot of damage like vanguard just like if you have an Ultra Magnus or whatever, they just have to attack your Ultra Magnus three times or four times to kill it, assuming that you trigger the Vanguard every time. And that seems crazy to me. I don't know. I, <laughs> he seems really, really good. Yeah, I think he's good in both decks. I think you can build him in a three wide control. You can build him in a three or four, even five wide aggro. Um, right. So I just don't have any hit points. I mean, like, Probably the wider you get, the less hit points that the guys will have. But um, I think he's good in both, to be honest with you. So one question that we were discussing and kind of wanted to get your take on since as a competitive player, how do, how do you feel about the state of the game right now? Like, I don't know if you listened to our whole last episode, but we kind of went off on a rant last episode about lack of comprehensive rules. As a competitive player that's played in a big tournament, how... Do you feel about not having a comprehensive rules document? And do you think it's a necessary component of moving forward and, and making sure that we have... Do you, do you think Watsi should have something like this out before we go to PAX and we're playing for really big prizes? Sure. Um, I mean, I don't know that I would sit home and read the whole thing, but I think for a judging perspective, I think, I think that... I think they, they, and they do know that judging is the one area that they can certainly improve upon. So I think for that to exist for the judging community and be able to make those rules. And, and the big thing for me, if, if the comprehensive rules document would kind of have all these biweekly, you know, FAQ rulings updates in it incorporated in some way, shape or form, it would just be easier, obviously to have one document to find the rules. Cause everyone's always like, Oh, which, uh, which rules roundup was that in? Oh, I don't remember. Like, you know, and then, so you have to go like find it. If that all was, was incorporated, it would just make that a lot easier. Um, and then if people understood the full rules and everything, there wouldn't be debates upon that. But really the issue for me that I've ever had in this space is really from a judging perspective to get judges that really understand the game and have um, 
have a document available to them to be able to refer to because there were some issues at Gen Con that were quite long to re- long to resolve. And I think a document like that would help speed that process up. Yeah, there's just certain things that obviously the floor rules can't handle, right? Right. Yeah, I I was a level two magic judge. My my certification has fallen off <laughs> several years ago, but and I, I have read the entirety of the magic rules document. Not not all at once. It's not something I like ever went out and just like sat down and read. Like you this said, is, this is Neil's light reading on a Friday <laughs> right, night, right. ladies and gentlemen. But I, I mean, I, I admit to driving back from a tournament in Kansas City one time, my friend Spencer, and just like to stay awake. He's like, let's figure out how dependencies work. So we read like, <laughs> like. 500 words of this and then like broke it down and it's just i don't want to have it for the sake of like rules lawyering somebody like that's i think that's bad i think that like in general like you said the most important thing is that we have the ability to quickly reference and resolve issues at whatever level, even if it's just like kitchen table or whatever, and you're playing with your friends and something comes up and you're like, well, I think it works this way. And I think it works this way. We have some place to look. And the FAQs they have now are a great resource because they handle 95% of the questions you could ever ask. And they handle them in a way that's like very specific where it'll say like, if my chop shop does this, like, does this happen? And it says yes or no. It's not like you don't have to look up at like how the attack actions trigger and when they trigger and like when stuff happens and but those are the kind of questions that i just want to know and if you listen to our last pod we did have like a specific issue with like when you decide to to uh discard to fire drive and when you decide to flip uh defensive formation yeah i remember that yeah and the order of the attack basically yeah right and having the information of how many cards Jesse would have discarded to fire drive would influence my decision to flip defensive formation. And we just didn't know there's nowhere to look. Nobody has answered us. It's just like, like, it's just, it's just out there and it's so minuscule. It'll never happen in constructed like at that specific situation. And it's just like, I just want to be able to look and I find it frustrating that you can't. Yeah, it, you're right. 90% of the time, it's not going to be a problem, but there are just and times. So. In, in Wizards' defense, like I said, the, the FAQs are great. And I, besides myself, I haven't had anybody or heard about anybody having a question that like wasn't answered easily by them. But I don't know. It's just a little thing that irks me. <laughs> All right, so so Scott, we kind of got started on this whole conversation because we started talking right after Gen Con, and I I had invited you onto the show. I asked you if you were interested in coming on the show, and you said yes, which we're super appreciative of in your time today. But over the course of time, I think you started listening to our show a little bit, and we started having some back-and-forth discussion about our top 10 lists. And I think this might be a good opportunity for us to dive into your list as you would see it compared to us. And I think the general thing is we're, we're pretty close to being on the same page, except maybe you, you decided to use some specific cards and specific slots, whereas we kind of lumped those into the honorable mentions because they were a little too narrow for, for all decks. So let's, let's break them down. Let's, let's talk about your list a little bit. I don't think we have to go through and have a big discourse on each card, but, and I, de- I definitely am not going to, cross compare it to our list if you want to know what our lists are just go back and listen to episode two and episode four and you'll hear our orange list and our blue list um but let's start at, at number 10 on the blue side you have the rock paper scissors armors which we put on our honorable mention list because of the, just the nature of of the fact that there's three of them and that 
their, uh, you know, more narrow in terms of their ability. Uh, and then you, you have them as number 10, which I think makes sense. And then we have enforcement batons. So I think some of the ones that are going to be more interesting is not so much the order, but the cards that you put on the list that we didn't include and why you included those cards over, uh, over the ones that we included. On the orange side specifically, it looks like you included energy pack and confidence as number nine and number eight for you. And we, we left confidence off because of the need for it to be an Autobot team only. But energy pack's interesting to me too, because that's also a narrow card uh, in terms of you have to have a bot big enough for it to benefit from it. So I agree with you on confidence. Like the more that I've played in the last several weeks since we recorded that orange episode, like Autobots are just better than Decepticons. I mean, <laughs> sure. If, if you've watched the show ever or read the comics or whatever, the Decepticons never win. This is a big spoiler, internet. <laughs> so, <laughs> Megatron seems awesome, but he never wins. And so, having the like Autobot only thing is a downside. It does make it worse than if it didn't say that. But the card is just insane, right? Like, it's just... It's just crazy and it makes Swindle look like garbage and it makes me feel, it makes me sad. Like, I, I guess I, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on Swindled, like the ability to like not use up your card play in confidence is a lot different than like spend your action to play upgrade. Like you, it feels like it shouldn't be that different, but it really is. Right. So two things. So, so overall the reason my list is different is because I wasn't looking at it from the perspective of overall use i'm looking at it as the reason you're playing this color is because of these cards so just and i'm sure we'll get to it but there's like the specific cards to either certain characters or to certain types or because i feel like you shouldn't even be playing those decks unless you're playing versions of these characters or colors or uh you know combat tribes and things like that or or tribes in general so we can get to that'll that'll bleed through as we go on in terms of confidence and swindled, you're 100% right. The fact that confidence doesn't actually take up your, what I call, action phase for the turn, it just allows you to actually affect both phases. So you get to dig two cards deeper to try to get an upgrade, and you get to actually just replay your action. It means you, you don't lose anything during the turn. So all you're getting is advantage. And so many of the Autobot decks can create quote card advantage um in other ways a lot of times through cliff jumper or through like other uh card draw like yeah, fire, fire drive, drive whatever yep mm-hmm. the downside of of being quote negative card advantage doesn't even come into play because to me and this could be a whole other topic but to me all that matters in the game is being able to play the most efficient things on a turn and and confidence certainly lets you do that and on the other side swindled is essentially just a new designs because the drawing two cards and discarding two cards it's just trying to get you to a second upgrade that you can now play, which is basically just copying a new design's ability. And that I don't, there are situations where I don't mind using one of the action phases to replace the other um, or enhance the other. But like, you know, that's why you'll see things like treasure hunt on here and things like that. But I, I don't want to be locked into that being my only option and also be in a negative card advantage situation and basically just getting a new design's ability, which is all, Swindled really does. If Swindled was blue, it might be a different story, but the fact that it's also orange, I think just really hurts it. Um, just right. overall. I agree with that for sure too. Yeah. Yep. No, it makes sense. So, and you kind of alluded to your number three card was treasure hunt. And I can, I can attest 
as a as somebody that's been playing Blaster in my last two EIQs, Treasure Hunt can be a real lifesaver when you're sitting on, like you said, the situation where you don't have another reasonably good action to take, and you also don't have a good upgrade. So it kind of bails you out in some cases, and in in more cases than not, it, it can miss, of course, but it's it's really rare. I mean, if you've got a reasonable amount of upgrades in your deck, you're very likely to hit at least one or two cards every time you treasure hunt. And it just draws you a thousand cards. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is also equally good when you're playing Fire Drive and Ion Blaster Manifold whatever right. thing it's right. called. Fire drive weapon. Nonsense. Right. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense <laughs> <Yeah>. gun. <laughs> exactly. Drive well, I, that's a whole nother gripe for me. But <laughs> why we can just say fire drive gun <laughs> or well, something. We, we you know. can, but... but they, yeah, why they didn't. Like, I'm never going to remember their, their weapon names ever. Like, it's never going to happen. I don't care how many times I play it. But yeah, you, so your your number one and number two are different than ours in that they're swapped. You put Peace Through Tyranny behind... Grenade launcher. I can certainly understand that. I I'm not disagreeing with that. In fact, Neil and I, you know, debated that back and forth before we put the episode out. But we ultimately decided that Peace to Tyranny was just generically better for the offensive firepower that it gives you over grenade launcher. And we then called out, of course, that the double any of the double pip cards there are really really important. So talk to me why why you made that choice. You think you think grenade launcher is more important than Peace of Tyranny, kind of just run your, your reasoning down by that, just so our audience can hear that. Sure. So I think you're seeing Grenade Launcher be more ubiquitous in orange and blue decks nowadays versus Peace of Tyranny being in both those types of decks. And I also feel that the dominance of Peace of Tyranny right now being played as the action as opposed to just being used for its pips is because of Battlemasters. It saw play, I mean, it certainly was always good in Insecticons, it was good in cars, there were certain situations you could set up, but it's really right now, I mean, I know you're recording this right now and we're talking about it right now, but like the reason right now in, in the history of the game it's so powerful is because there's no downside to, almost no downside to to using Peace or Tyranny on a Battlemaster. So, mm-hmm. and unfortunately there aren't even a lot of other ways to get them off the field for value outside of Peace and uh, One Child Stand. So, it becomes so much more powerful in addition to its pips in Battlemaster uh, base decks or in wide decks, both of which are mm-hmm. pretty popular right now. So, Yep. I, I do think that, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I mean, it was just, we had our debate internally about it and we're right. wondering at what the time that we was. recorded that episode, uh, there, at least at that time, there were no, like, like you were saying, blue lists that had grenade launchers in them, really. Like, we had played around with that a little bit, but it wasn't being seen everywhere. This was, like, right after Wave 3 got spoiled and, uh, or Wave 3 got released and, like, Lionizer was everywhere. Sure. And so, like, not only is Lionizer, like, like you were talking about the Battlemasters, but, like, the bold decks were just the thing and the double pips are better the more battle cards you flip and it's, I don't know. I I still think that if I was going to make the list, I would put it ahead because Watsy seems to think that like double pip cards, regardless of the number, like what kind of pips they are, need a star. And these are just always going to be in every deck. But I mean, Grenade Launcher is obviously insane. I don't know. There's nothing you can say about Grenade Launcher that's bad. And it's so straightforward that it, it's really hard to mess up in any way with it. Whereas I do think you can make play mistakes with peace and, and cost you games if you do it wrong. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's also true. 
That's happened once <laughs> to me too. <laughs> but you learn, you learn from those things. So, I mean, that's what I tell people. Like, don't be afraid to try it because if you try it and you lose, then it tell, tells you why that was the wrong situation to do it in. But, all right. So, let's talk a little bit about the blue side because we're, we're, you know, we want to keep things on time here as well. Um, I think for the most part, your blue list is, is I, I can just, just looking at it, I can quickly see the specific decks that each one of these cards wants to be in, uh, which means that there, there's a lot of your, your list is quite a bit different than ours in, in exception of maybe the top four or five cards. Uh, you added obviously the, the rock, paper, scissors armors at number 10. We discussed that already a little bit. So you added start your engines, which obviously is specifically a cars card, right? And most of the cars decks are orange, but uh, it, I guess maybe there are some blue cars decks that are kind of emerging out of the out of the scrum of the EIQs right now, and you know there there is something there. Obviously, and even that's the why orange cards play that card. It's so correct, good. right? So I can I can understand why you would say that's a from a just a the pip color card as being the kind of card you want to have. I I totally get that. We're we're in the same kind of boat with leap into battle, but you've had an inferno breath here. And I I am definitely not as high on inferno breath personally. We've spent a lot of time discussing it for our blue list and ultimately decided that it since it only really we only felt like it played really well on aerial bots at the time. Maybe you've got some other insight into inferno breath and other decks outside of aerial bots that it's going to be good in or is that why it's in your list is just because it's aerial bots? Well, it's, a, it's one of the cards that makes Aerial Bots work, so we can start there. But really, any four wide or greater, I don't, I, maybe not like a bold based aggro deck, but like for almost any four wide deck that's either multi pipped colored or, or blue at all, like this is an auto include. So, like, I had like, you know, we were testing like a Starscream Air Commander deck. It was really good in there. Other combiner decks, it's really good in there. And I actually think, like, if you were to take the, the aggro control model and apply it to wider decks, I think it would show up there as well. And I just think it's three damage for virtually no cost at just tapping a guy and in a, in a four wide or greater deck, you're going to have a guy that you can tap that isn't going to do that much damage through their armor anyway. So like it's almost the equivalent of attacking with like a five or six power guy at times. And I just think this is a card that makes wide control decks in general work because of how much damage it does and how you can get extra use out of the character, like, you know, make them the blocker if they have brave and things like that. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that. I, I can definitely see I, it, it does fall into that requirement of needing a wide deck, right? Like you're definitely not wanting to try to consider this card in a three wide or less. I mean, maybe some three wides, but I, I, I can't think of one sitting here while we're talking right now where, and I'm sure somebody will come back and say, Oh, I'm playing Inferno breath and it's three wide and it's killing things. And I'm going to be like, okay, yep. Yeah. Way to go. Right. (laughs) I'm like, thanks. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. But, but I mean, in in a general conversation, we're sitting here going, I think we agree with you, but I, I, I haven't really considered, I think outside of, we, we talked about it. We, we play tested a major sound wave Pierce deck, with the yeah, it was spy really similar deck. to wreck and rules like spy yeah, patrol with, thing with inferno yep. breath in it but it, i mean it just it just never got there right it just never really got to the finish line at least not consistently enough where we felt like it was a a true truly viable four wide deck right the the biggest thing about inferno breath for me is like at least in the matches that we were playing and in our local meta like i just i didn't like playing spy patrol i didn't like playing aerial bots and I just, I don't know. I, I don't have experience with the card to like 
say it's super good or not. Like I, I believe you. I, like there's there's like four people or whatever that I think are more right than me, maybe. <laughs> and he's not lying. Yeah, I'm. I'm, pro- I'm, I'm glad to be in such I just I haven't I haven't like read anything or listened to anything you've said yet that I've disagreed with and like you this is this is just compliment time so <laughs> I haven't I haven't read anything or consumed any of your guys's content that I have disagreed with you like very greatly and like you and Vince and the Vector Sigma guys all your content has really like given me an opportunity to understand the game at a better level there's just like things that I've read from you guys and things that I have listened to and all that have just like opened up this door for me in certain areas of the game where I'm just like, Oh, this is cool. And then that leads me to more stuff. You know, it's, it's like a, you guys provide content on a level that's good for everybody. And I, I really enjoy that. So I, I can't say that you're wrong about Inferno Breath. And I, I think maybe it's like where it should be on the list. I, I just need to play it more. It's not something that I'm aware of. No, I, I really appreciate well, all I, that I to be honest with you. <laughs> I definitely think it's going to have Neil and I reevaluating some of our wider control deck lists and deciding whether or not it's worth the investment for us to to put it into those decks. Because I'm I'm testing a four wide mixed mixed pip cars deck and I'm not playing Inferno Breath in that list, but I think I'm going to try to see if I can squeeze it in somewhere now just to see just just to find out. Not to Jesse, prove me wrong. Jesse is all in on this blue cars. <laughs> I list. want to make blue cars a thing. I want four wide blues car blues. I, I, I want four wide blue cars to be a thing. And I think it can be. I mean, I've got a, I've got a character lineup that you can have seven cards in hand at the end of your first turn. Oh yeah. Easily. Yeah. How, how can, how can that be bad? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, man, it's Cliff just getting the right is so cards. Dumb. He is dumb, but <laughs> how can that be a bad scenario to be at? And I'm not playing a pure blue just to be clear. I'm playing a mixed pip list because I, I think pure, if you're trying to play pure blue in this day and age, you're probably going to have a really tough tough day but let's let's move forward so you've added the ion blaster of optimus prime and then the lv gamma disruptor launcher i think we mentioned those both as honorable mentions uh, we talked about ion blaster i don't think we had lv but it's it's a similar yeah, thing like concept. i'm sure that you're the same on it that we are where it's just like this is really great if you can play it and mm-hmm. when you can play it you should yep yeah so i think we're we're in agreement that's a that's a you had that at number six on your blue list you you did separate out armed hovercraft and marksmanship as two separate cards. We lumped them together in our list. And I think it's just because we were struggling a little bit with like how to define some of these cards that were so similar. How do you see marksmanship and armed hovercraft being different, and how do you raise one of them over the other? So my issue, I love armed hovercraft. The issue is I played in a lot of decks that play, for example, ion blasters and LV disruptor monsters. So especially in the ion blaster case. There can be situations where you have to replace the Ion Blaster to play Armed Hovercraft, and you would never do that unless it was a desperate situation. So it's not always 100% playable, but it's 100% important. Whereas Marksmanship is almost 100% playable all the time and has a blue pip to it. So to me, Armed Hovercraft requires you to be running more than one range character, and Marksmanship doesn't. And so Marksmanship is always a three of like when you have range characters, whereas... I have certain decks with armed hovercraft that are only playing it as like a one or a two of. So okay. that's really like where I separate it. But right now they're so important that I have them next to each other. But I think you could probably make the argument that armed hovercraft should move down more, but I wouldn't move marksmanship down more. Fair enough. Okay. I mean, I was just curious. Mm-hmm. I just, cause we, we, it was just another point where we were slightly different. I think we're in agreement on the, 
the top cards. Now you left disruptive entrance off the list and we actually added disruptive entrance. I'm curious why, what, what is maybe disruptive entrance is high up on your list, but just not high enough to make the top 10. Or is it a card that you've just played enough times that you feel like it's just not a good card for your action. If you're playing kind of that blue control deck, it's not, it's that it's not that great. Um, I'd rather just play espionage most of the time. I understand that disruptive entrance hits the blanks, which are important. Like, I still function or one shall stand and things like that. But I don't want to be using my action on a card that later in the game will have no use. And you could you could make the same argument for the like the LV disruptor launcher will always be a plus two weapon, even if you're not discarding any cards from your opponent's hand, whereas a late game disruptive entrance won't actually do anything. So I think I used to run it in wave one during Rise of the Combiners, it was in my sideboard for like our Origins deck. But now I don't run it at all. And if I was going to run an effect like that, I would probably just run Espionage because the only teams, like the only groups of players out there that run a tremendous amount of blanks are us. So like I would only be meting against ourselves. So I just find that I would just be running Espionage in those situations anyway. Um, I understand why it's it's good. Like these types of effects in card games are always going to be good. But in this game, they're really only good like in the first few turns. Or they're really good when you're backing up other effects. So like a Sentinels list, for example, would want to run it because you have Mirage uh, built in. So like now suddenly you're taking two cards out of their hand. So you can literally leave them with no plays. That's not always going to happen if you're just playing it as a one of here. I don't know that we've reached a point yet where, oh my God, I have to take that action. So I, and it, it can't be hit by espionage. Like, I just don't know if we've hit that point yet where it always has that universal use. But I understand why people think it's good. I just, I don't play it anymore. I, I just try to be more active than passive, I guess you could say. Sure. No, I, I, I get that. And I think that, you know, prior to wave three and sound wave or shock, shock wave, geez, major shock wave coming out, it was a lot harder to disrupt hand. Now we have a lot, a lot more proactive approaches, like you said, between the LV and Shockwave himself. Uh, I can, I can get behind that as a, as a valid, valid reason for why disruptive entrance is not seeing play. Neil, do you have any other questions for Scott? Yes. Okay. The, the most important one, <laughs> sure. actually. So I don't know how much of the pod that you've listened to. I hope that you just have it on repeat all day <laughs> and listen to me talk. Jesse and I have a bet about Megatron making the top 32 of PAX. And if Megatron makes the top 32 of PAX, I will win the bet. And if he doesn't, then I will rap about Megatron to the tune of Nicki Minaj. Okay on the yep. pod i just want to know what you think my chances of winning this bet are and uh how i'm going to make this happen <laughs> i don't think he's going to win i was like when we recorded that episode i was pretty confident because wave three had just come out and like we weren't really into seeing all the wave three deck lists yet and general megatron is like a powerful card mm-hmm. so i was like yeah i, I bet one can make top because we at the time we also said it could be gen con or pax so if it's a Gen Con or it's at PAX in top 32, I would win. And so I was all, I was ready to just listen to Jesse rap. But now after Gen Con is done and it was nowhere to be seen, I'm, I'm backed up against the wall and <laughs> I just, I need you to tell me that I'm right. And that <laughs> I need some information. So I think it depends on whether there's more support for Lord Megatron in the the new one that was spoiled like if there's more symmetrical draw effects like system reboot testify things like that or like i don't even think there needs to be pure mill type cards to make him work i just think if there's 
ways of gaining advantage. I think there's a chance of that deck being really powerful because I know on the surface, while his effect seems flashy, it's not going to do as much. It's not going to be that much different than like Cosmos is really. So it, if there is support for that, I think that's one avenue that he can certainly go. And on the flip side, I guess if there's more like attack drone type cards or ways to make sure weapons stick around, then the General Megatron would be good. The problem with General Megatron is like he costs the same as Optimus Prime Battlefield Legend. I can't imagine a situation where it's going to be better, especially with press the advantage existing. So we really need we really need a Decepticon guard that's equal in power level to press the advantage, and we need more cards to support Lord Megatron, and then I think you're fine. That, that's uh, <laughs> that's going to bring me to my next point. Yeah, so well, regardless of whether Neil wins or loses this bet, he's going to lose. But, sure. but <laughs> regardless of whether he's going to win or lose this bet, what do you, do you think do you think Watsi will address press the advantage if there's nothing in wave four to really deal with it? I mean, I, Drew kind of alluded to it in some of the interview content after Gen Con that they were watching it. Do you think that this is something that they're going to do anything about? I mean, are you, I mean, in the speculation land, do you think that's a, a place they're going to go? I have a long email to them about it, but um, that aside, <laughs> I, the way they described it is they described it as a design flaw, not a, what I, I guess whatever they consider to be like a bannable offense. Like they basically just said, we shouldn't have printed up card that had this much going for it. Like, like, Oh, it's an orange. Oh, it's a, you know, an on color orange gives you attack buff. It's a, it has green. It only affects one side, things like that. Like it has too many positives and really no negatives to it. So I think from a design perspective, they said it was a bad call, but they never said like, it's a bannable offense. Like, do I think they should do something about it? Like, probably, um, because I just don't see... The only other ways I see around it, and I, I wrote this in my comprehensive write-up, and I think we're going to have an article about it eventually also, is the one thing they can... The easiest thing they can do is just make the ruling that you have to have both targets in play. So that way, it won't have the ability... Like, they have to have a Decepticon in play to give a minus two to to get the plus two. That way, you just can't auto-play three of it and like, oh, I'll just give my guy plus two even when he doesn't have Decepticons. So... Right. That way, at least it would be more relegated to sideboarding. I don't think you would run as many main deck. I think you'd probably see most decks still run like one main deck, but not a playset of them. So that's one point. I don't think they can eradicate it to like take the green off it, or I don't know what else they would do. So, well, so so my that was my thought process with it. I mean, I, I have a little bit of experience in card design, and you know, I have published my own card game at one point in time. But I'm just curious, like, do they? do they just take off the the minus two to Decepticons? Like, does that, does that make this card reasonable? It's a poor man's, you know, reckless charge, I guess. It's just another pump spell for orange, but now it doesn't, it, it's an Autobot pump spell, but it doesn't care about like offsetting the Decepticons defense values and making it essentially what can turn into a plus four, which is on that reckless charge plan. Yeah, I mean, this gets into the, the realm of, and like you would, you'd have more experience in this than me. I've only worked on the, content side of, of games like I, I don't i think it's better to ban than have a rata I, I don't know what the decision point is there um it's, it's really yeah, hard by yeah, the way i 100 percent agree with that like the card is obviously really good the card is not to a point where like it feels like it should be banned like like if we just look at press the advantage in a vacuum it's a good card i don't think it should be banned the problem with it that makes it bad design is that it just like 
it divides the bots that they've printed up to this point into good ones and bad ones. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's that's not entirely true, but like in general, it just it takes all these cards that these other cards that they've printed that are purple and makes them worse. And there's nothing to balance that with the with the red ones. Like, so if they just like like imagine if they printed the exact same card, but it was reversed gives your Decepticon bigger and your opponent's Autobot smaller, like, then we would never have this conversation. It, though both cards would be really good, but since both car- both sides would have them, they wouldn't have to worry about the design aspect where they're just, like, weakening half of the cards in the, that they printed. So you're talking about, Bill, maybe they should just print a symmetrical design so that it's just kind of exists. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not opposed to that either. I'm just saying, like, in a, in a vacuum, or not even in a vacuum, assuming that we're not going to have... Uh, a Decepticon answer as of yet for press going into packs. Do you think it's good for the game to have this card go forward like this, or should it be restricted or banned? Or I mean, restricted doesn't well work because of the green pip, right? That's the problem. Right. Like, <laughs> and you restrict it, and you're like, oh well, sh- shoot. I guess I can only run one of these. Okay. Well, I'm going to flip through it anyway, so I'm going to get it no matter what. Yeah. yeah. Unless they want functional errata, that's either or change the ruling, and that you have to have both targets. The only other route is going to be banning, in my opinion, because it's not a play. It's not a play issue. It's not like the piece or tier or anything where it's like I can only take two turns at a, at a time or or all that kind of stuff. It it limits deck construction, which is where I think that's where you don't want to be. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So. Well, excellent, man. Hey, Scott, I, I think we're coming up against the, the hour here. So I just wanted to thank you so much for your time. I knew we would end up chatting with you for quite some time because we do really enjoy your content that comes out at VectorSigma.info. I mean, you guys are definitely on the forefront of the Transformers content creation community. And I appreciate everything that you do for the community. I know you have a Patreon. I'm going to plug that for you. You guys should definitely consider the Patreon for Vector Sigma. Help support these guys as they continue to drive great content to the community. I know Patreon sometimes can be one of those places where people get a little upset about it. But to be honest, this stuff is not free to make. It, at the end of the day, it costs time. It costs money and, and equipment. And, you know, it's just the way it goes. Yeah, you can see the content yeah, we're still putting good. out there, quote, for free. So yeah exactly so i appreciate it all right yeah no no problem at all thanks again you know again thanks again for coming on we really did enjoy our time with you today and we'll have to do this again maybe in the future and i'm sure we'll see you at pax yeah definitely anytime anytime we can get together 